Welcome to the Future is Healthy podcast, where we have in-depth conversations with experts to help navigate wellness and empower all of us to make feasible changes to a healthier life and healthier world. In today's conversation, we speak with Rob Reiner, who is the founder and CEO of CropSwap. He has been designing mobile and web app startups for the past 11 years. He saw a need to make locally grown, healthy food readily available to consumers. In 2017, he created an app to cater to this market and launched CropSwap. CropSwap is a farm-to-phone marketplace that connects consumers and businesses with local selections from sustainable farmers. Today, he shares with us that your average apple from a grocery store was picked 13 months ago, how eating local foods are important to prevent disease and fix your health. He also shares his own journey to healing through eating locally grown food. We also discuss the importance of farming to regenerate soil health and how it affects the climate and much, much more. We really enjoyed this conversation and we hope you do too. Now onto the podcast. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the Futures Healthy Podcast. We're really excited to keep talking with you. We've (laughs) already had some good conversations here, Um, but yeah, welcome to the podcast. No, thank you guys so much. And honestly, it's an honor to be speaking to you all. Um, I appreciate the courage, the bravery that you guys have had to go through to to keep this channel moving and up and running. And again, the freedom of information is huge. And I appreciate you guys really doing everything to educate the public on just a different opinion, a different stance and something that they can educate themselves with and maybe take home with them. So I really do appreciate this experience and everything. Awesome. Uh, Thank you. And so we really want to start at the beginning. So you started CropSwap. Um, What got you interested in regenerative agriculture? Um, What's your background? Yeah, no. So I I love telling this story because I think I can relate with a lot of people. I grew up in Houston, Texas. So where I grew up, I mean, I ate fast food. I had Whataburger all the time. I had McDonald's. Food really didn't impact my life. Um, I was used to seeing huge fields with tractors, and I would say, wow, that's probably to grow for a, a whole community, right? A whole neighborhood. Food was not really of importance to me. I, I grew up understanding that technology was going to be the future, and I understood that um, you know, through my dad, my uncle, they're both in computer science. So that was something that was kind of pushed to me. Hey, do computer science because you can do anything you want after that, right? So I did computer science and I thought, you know, I followed the money never sleeps Wall Street type path, right? Where you're like, okay, to be happy in this world, I'm going to make a ton of money. And I decided to move. uh, So I went to University of Houston for two years. And then after that, I decided to move to Manhattan, to New York City. uh, And I thought I was going to build apps for Wall Street. I thought I wanted to build fintech software. And very quickly, when you're in Wall Street, you understand the the fakeness of it. The fact that um, to make money, you kind of have to understand insider trading. You have to have connections, things like that. And I just didn't want to be a part of that world. But I loved building apps. I loved building just ideas. You know, it was really cool to me. So I moved to California after that. And I built up a startup factory out here where I was outsourcing to Bolivia and Colombia. Most companies at the time were outsourcing to India or Ukraine, which different time zones is very hard to build good software. So I wanted to make sure that we were within the same time zone and I wanted to give opportunities to people who wanted to make the next best startup out of uh, the United States. 
So I did that. And, you know, again, it was one of those things where you get behind these projects that people are building and nothing felt very challenging. Nothing felt like, you know, when I leave here, I'm going to be really happy with what I built. And, and so I started discovering a lot of different things like Vipassana meditation. I started discovering changes in my diet just to try and find a little bit of happiness and spirituality. And from there, I ended up meeting a guy named Daniel McAllister. And Daniel was introduced to me through a mutual friend who said, hey, this guy's got an app idea. Um, you got to go to his house, though. And I was like, uh, dude, come on. Like, are you sure? Like, let me just talk to him and see if he's serious. And he's like, no, no, you got to go to his house. So I was like, okay. So I went to Woodland Hills, California, and I met Daniel McAllister. Daniel was a home grower, a home gardener, who essentially turned his whole front yard and backyard into square foot garden beds. And, you know, I, I met Dan, amazing, beautiful guy. Um, he's just super friendly. And he had neighbors walking up and down his street while I was there. And everybody would stop and ask him about his garden. And, I, and this is my first time ever seeing food grown in a small scale environment, right? I'm, again, I'm used to, I've been programmed through movies, through our books to see huge fields and that essentially be the place you grow food. So for the first time, this was me witnessing food in a smaller scale. So he was like, you know, I go in there and I start talking to him and he's showing me his farm. And he's like, here, try this. And I try to carrot. And I want to say I try to carrot for the first time in my life because I tried what a real carrot is supposed to taste like, right? He pulls celery and he's like, look, try this. See how it's peppery? Celery in grocery stores are watery. Everything I was trying had so much flavor and I almost felt so good after eating. I felt so happy. It was crazy. And I was, and he was explaining to me, he was just telling me, Rob, it's just crazy because I want to grow all this food and I want to sell it to my neighbors, but I don't want to do it on an app like Craigslist or, you know, or, or an Etsy or next door or anything like that. I want to do it just off of a place where people know it's food. So to be honest, I wasn't really behind this idea and this concept at the beginning because I was, I'm always thinking like an investor, like an entrepreneur, how do you monetize it? Right. How do you make money off of this? And do people even care? Um, you know, is there anything in this? So that's when my journey started going down this path, um, through, through the journey of food, I started meeting all kinds of people. Um, I told Dan, I told him, look, Dan, if, if you can match me $30,000, I'll invest $30,000 in building our MVP, our minimal viable product. This was back in September of 2017. Uh, and we ended up running a Kickstarter and we fundraised $30,000. So he matched me. And from there, I said, okay, if people really want to see this move forwards, which they did throwing $30,000, I feel like is something that a lot of people, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of money, right? So a lot of people are putting a lot of energy into it. So we launched our first version of the app uh, at the Santa Rosa Heirloom Convention. Um, we, for the over two years, we were an app where you could buy, sell, or trade locally grown produce. And I learned a lot from there. I learned a lot about our broken systems. I learned the fact that there's 30,000 varieties of produce out there and only 200 are commercially available. I learned that there were meat farms that were feeding their cows Skittles, right? Just to give them calories. You know, I, I've heard crazy stories. I heard uh, one farmer was telling us, oh, you know, you want to get into the cattle business? Um, it's amazing. Look, the Skittle factory across the street, when they misprint the S's, they ship them all over here. So our cows are now eating calories, right? And it's just like, wow. Uh, you know, we're eating cows, obviously that have cancer because they're not eating their natural foods. And then, um, you know, they just cut out the tumors and feed it to the population as if it's nothing. So we're eating a lot of broken food. 
Um, I started witnessing, you know, I've seen, I've gone to Dole Farms. I've seen them fly helicopters, Air Force One pilots maneuver impressively, uh, spraying pesticides over everything. I've seen the workers in biohazard suits, you know, and then you've, I've met the local growers and the local farmers. And that was really something. So over the two years, we essentially grew the app to about 30,000 users and we had about 9,000 growers on the app. And keep in mind, these are growers. These are like your, your neighborhood gardeners and, and fanatics, right? So to be honest with you, when I would go to Texas and I would tell people, you know, what we were building and what was out here, I would have people still questioning me if organic food was worth buying over conventional food. So I was like, man, for this to become a huge success, we really have to educate. We kind of have to start from zero. So I'll be honest, I never looked at CropStop as a successful project uh, through 2017, 2019, because we weren't, we, we encompassed the gardening community, the people who were food woke and understood how powerful these products were. They were all a part of it. But what about the general consumer at Walmart that never got educated on food? What about the consumers who live in those food swamps, right? Or food apartheid areas? Uh, what about them? You know, how do I get them into this mix? And I just realized it wasn't going to work with the platform we had built. So around 2019, I decided to have a conversation with Dan and Dan, his dad is a, a state senator of Nebraska. So Dan was always wanting to join politics and be in that space in some way. And at that point, I kind of asked Dan, hey, I, I, are, are you still in to stay into this? Because I, I think I'm going to restart CrossFit from zero. I think I'm going to delete it started over because it's not going to work how we launched it. Even though we've got all these users and everything for the world to, to really get behind this, we have to start over. And at the time, I think uh, Dan, he's, a, he's about 40 years old. So he really wanted to push a political move at least one more time in his life. So around 2019, I decided to take over CropSwap. So I took on as the CEO of CropSwap, I dropped all my other projects and I decided to really figure this out. This was monumental to me because I started figuring out that in grocery stores, an apple is on average 13 months old. That's crazy, right? Uh, spinach, within three days that spinach is picked, it loses 90% of its nutrients. So I was looking at a food system that took, I mean, at the quickest rate, five to six weeks to get you your food, right? Um, and that's at the quickest. I just told you apples were 13 months old on average. That's ridiculous. That's, that's alarming, right? So I started questioning, you know, all these holistic approaches, do they not work? Or are people, you know, thinking that they're conspiracies because they go to a Kroger and buy kale and expect to get nourished from kale that's been sitting there for six weeks? That's never going to happen. So that's when it became really alarming to me that we need to rebuild our whole food system. And to do that, we're moving mountains now. So this isn't going to be just a quick startup, launch it, exit, finding investors and get moving. This is going to be something where we literally have to shift the way that humans eat food, think about food and spend their money on food. So November, 2019, we, we, we scrapped the app. I deleted the app off the app store and I decided to build it from zero. What I started seeing is companies like Imperfect Foods, right? Imperfect Foods delivers boxes of produce that's grown from conventional commercial farms. Uh, basically, what I saw was when grocery stores essentially don't buy produce from their current suppliers, Imperfect Foods would come in and they would say, hey, we'll buy it and we'll remarket it as we're saving you know, from waste. Because remember, conventional farms don't reuse their waste. It's trash. They throw it away. They use pesticides and chemicals to nourish their soil. 
Regenerative farms are nourishing the soil. All they focus on is creating the most powerful soil. So that way that plant doesn't need pesticides because it has everything it needs in that soil to guard itself against any pests. It's the natural plant. It's creating the most strongest plants, essentially. Um, and then using, if you've got waste, you, you compost it, right? And you reuse it in the soil. So these farms that Imperfect Foods was buying from are conventional volume, high volume farms. So they basically took this extra produce, marketed it, created a box, and they started selling boxes to consumers. And I was like, whoa, this is really cool. For a social play, people are okay buying a box of, you know, whatever. At the time, it was very random. It was whatever a farm produced of any of these things and get it delivered to their door. When I saw that, I started questioning, why can't a farmer just do that? Why do you need an imperfect foods company, right? To go in and, and grab all of this. And, and then now you've got one giant corporation called Imperfect Foods controlling that whole market, right? Why couldn't we have it where, you know, your, your regenerative farm local to you, why can't they create a box? Why can't they create a brand themselves that they own, that they're empowered with? And why can't they just create their own subscriptions and sell direct to the public, right? So that's what we wanted to build. I wanted to figure out a way since consumers were already, you know, shopping for boxes. I was like, great, we've got regenerative farms across America right now that aren't attached to the corporate food model, right? So just to give you guys an idea, the corporate food model means that you can make money off of growing food. Out of the people who make money growing food, 97% of those farmers are white. So that means all the minority farms you see. And when I say minority farms, think cultures of food, right? My Latin American farms are going to grow completely different things than an Asian American farm, than a, than a black farmer, than an Indian American farm. You know what I mean? Like all of these farmers are going to be growing completely different cultures of food, 30,000 varieties. Remember, we're only commercially available is 200. So we're lacking in a ton of different products, right? We're lacking in, in, in options. All we get is what the grocery stores supply. So when I started seeing that, Every single farmer that I reached out to specifically during COVID, all of them had surplus, but all the other apps and all the grocery stores, they didn't have any food. They were all booked out, blocked. You could go into a grocery store and there was no produce on the in the aisles or anything like that. But regenerative farms and farmers that were growing food for farmers markets, they had a surplus. So much so that even in New York City, they were saying they were throwing away food. The Hudson Valley farmers markets were just throwing away food because they didn't know what to do with it. That's how broken our food system was. And I think COVID really exploited that. So around uh, June of 2020, during COVID, I rallied up about three regenerative farmers that we knew out here in Los Angeles. And I just told them, guys, you're going to create an account on CropSwap. You're going to own your own account. This is a decentralized platform, meaning I'm not selling your food. You know, you're going to do it yourself and I'm going to get it out to the public. My job is to pick the best sustainable farms uh, and get all eyeballs to you. So that way, any download is basically me saying, yep, there's a local farm near you and here are the products that they sell. And then you're able to buy them direct from uh, uh, from the app. So that's essentially what we launched. And I always tell people when you're subscribed to your local farmer, I mean, an earthquake could happen, uh, COVID uh, pandemic could happen again, whatever happens, my farmer already knows they're growing me food. So every week it's business as usual. If I would have been subscribed to my local farmers during COVID, they already planted my things almost six months ago. So all of that is business as usual. We wouldn't be in this freak out. I need these things. 
I would have gotten my delivery immediately that week for that local food, right? And not to mention, it's the most powerful food. This is food that's delivered 24 hours after it's harvested. Uh, so it's not sitting in, we don't have cold storages. Farms typically don't have huge cold storages where they can store your boxes. Uh, systems like Imperfect Foods, Misfit Foods, Farm Fresh to You, those companies did such a good job at marketing that their social message is big. And I do agree, it is big. It's better than a lot of what the grocery stores are doing. But better exists. Uh, if, if there could be a way where humanity could get food within 24 hours of harvest, that is going to be the most electric, the most powerful nutrient dense food, specifically if it's not grown with chemicals, if it's grown with soil in mind and nourishing that soil. So that way it regenerates itself. And that's where the, where the regenerative farmers really come into play is that they're building the most powerful plants you've ever consumed in your life. So now we as CropSwap have to do a phenomenal job at teaching and educating the public as to why this is better than the food you get at Kroger or HEB or, uh, you know, Ralph's out here in California. Why is it that much better? Um, not only that, but, you know, the fact that they're supporting someone local, they're supporting their community with that purchase. And we have other tools and things, but that's, that's a quick zero to a hundred of where we're at with, uh, with CropSwap. That's an amazing story. Wow. Um, well, we love what you're doing and we, we completely agree with, um, many of the sentiments that you shared. And I mean, we don't really hear about regenerative agriculture that much in our day to day. And like we hear the organic versus conventional. Um, and then we also hear the, the argument that you're, the world can't be fed with only organic or only, only regenerative. Um, can the world be fed with regenerative agriculture only? 1,000%. I mean, that's what victory gardens were, right? Back in World War II, we had victory gardens where 40% of our food was grown by local growers, local gardeners. Um, that's a fact. We've done this before. I think regenerative farming is a coined term that really means indigenous farming. We have always farmed this way. We have always been one with nature we never had chemicals. Chemicals came into play after World War II. Uh, all the German scientists that were using chemicals in a lot of the, say, factories, um, they brought them here to the United States to repurpose them uh, to be used on our foods, to destroy weeds and so on. So to be honest with you, conventional farming is new. It came in the 50s, right? And they started pouring chemicals everywhere. Um, so really, when we talk about regenerative farming, it's growing the way that we were supposed to. It's even using the animals, right? This regenerative farming is mostly with animals. You're using a cow because a cow has hooves and hooves plant seeds. So you're running them through your field. And then a cow has a purpose, right? A cow isn't sitting in a stall, right? They're just waiting to be slaughtered, basically. You're giving the cow a purpose that it had its whole life, just like a human, right? You're, you're purposely doing everything. So when we speak about regenerative farming, it's using the entire ecosystem together. It's using the, the cows to plant the seeds, to walk through the fields, to, to till the soil and so on. Um, and, and, and that's really where we have to go back to. Right now, we know that when we till using tractors and when we break the soil, we're releasing carbon dioxide into the earth. And it was really cool. Earlier today, I had a conversation with John Liu and John Liu is, um, he's on the Kiss the Ground documentary. He's, a, he's been able to regenerate a ton of land out in China. He was able to regenerate what was the Fertile Crescent of China. Um, he regenerated it from a dust bowl, essentially, to a fruit forest. John Liu had a really cool conversation where he was telling me, Rob, you know, the biggest problem is that people think that rainwater is what we need, right, for crops and everything. But really, we have the ocean right here. We're in California. So we get 
the humidity, we get all of the, the, the vapor and everything that's in our, our, our atmosphere, our lower atmosphere, it comes in here, right? The problem is, is that we have front lawns. We don't have any soil that can capture that moisture and bring it down. It just dissipates with the sun, right? We've got hard surfaces, fake grass, all these things. So the moisture is there. The ability to grow is there. We just don't have a way to lock it into the ground uh, to really start growing food. So I would say regenerative farming is the way forwards. Um, there isn't enough chemicals where everybody can start using chemicals. And, and that definitely isn't the case. I have a lot of people who ask me, you know, Rob, why eat regenerative food over organic food? And I always tell them that even organic food, right? You're growing by volume. You're still spraying pesticides on it. Um, and you're, you're growing one single crop in, in volume, right? When you're eating from a regenerative farm, you have to understand that that farmer is planting things on purpose. They're planting things next to plants on purpose so that everything is being used as one with the ecosystem. And more importantly, this plant didn't have chemicals. They didn't have that benefit. So you're eating something that had to go through the weather, had to go through pests and survived all of that. That's what I want to eat. I want to eat the most powerful food. And that is the most powerful food. It didn't cheat. It wasn't nurtured with chemicals or anything. It had to fight for its life, much like I feel humans are doing right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things about regenerative agriculture is its resilience. And I think humans need resilience right now. And so does our agriculture and food system. I mean, as the climate is changing, uh, regenerative yep. agriculture, there's been some studies done that show in times of drought, they produce 40% more crop yields than conventional grown agriculture. And I think that's a huge selling point as you see, 100%. like the climate is changing um, a ton. And then also I thought it was very interesting uh, about the lawns and the the cement, because that's part of the reason why California has been having these horrible fires and droughts is because you've yep. broken the water cycle. So yep. 400 miles in, you have um, deserts because yep. you stop the water cycle and you can't have anything hold on to that. Yeah. No, the more, the more gardens we have and the more people are growing their own food, it's going to restore. It's going to, I call it terraforming, right? Because we're going to turn this dusty land into a paradise. Uh, we're not going to see concrete jungles. We're going to see just really beautiful landscaped areas, almost like those utopia future, you know, images that we see where we see plants all over buildings and so on that is coming. You know, it, it has to come because that's the only way to combat climate change. It's not to block out the sun or to, uh, you know, do all these crazy methods. We actually need the sun. You know, I always have this aquarium behind me whenever I speak. And I know a lot of the, the listeners aren't going to be able to see it. But um, when you grow water, uh, water plants in water, you actually have to inject the aquarium with CO2. So that's the only way I can grow plants inside of water. So CO2 isn't the problem. CO2 is what plants eat, right? That's what they need to flourish. What we're lacking is plants. That's what we need to bring into our earth is we're destroying so many plant cycles and water cycles and so on that there isn't enough plants to now breathe all that carbon dioxide that's in our air that our factories are also producing and so on. If we planted more, we would solve that issue. And that's why it's so important right now that people start understanding where their vote with their dollar goes, meaning, you know, it, what, what are you contributing to with your purchase? Are you contributing to a system that is, you know, making sure that white farmers are extremely successful or are the only ones successful? Or are we in, investing in a system where we're adding diversity now, where we're adding cultures of food, where we're adding... Uh, you know, we're, we're keeping money in the pocket of our own community, right? That's another one. If, if I'm funding my local farmer 
and they're not only regenerating the earth, but now they have income coming in, they're going to spend that money on helping their community and so on. And that's how we start seeing an improvement in our communities as well. So I take it that a lot of these regenerative farmers can't sell directly to um, giant supermarket corporations or even even probably local grocery stores, um, because you're saying that during COVID, there's been a surplus of food in some of these farms. So um, I know if, like, through CropSwap, you can find a local farmer, but how can people purchase regeneratively grown food and how can you look for it in a grocery store? Cause you'd have the organic label versus the conventional, but it's, I mean, labeling's already so confusing. Yeah. And, and honestly, labeling is a tax, right? Because to even just to get the organic labeling, some farmers just can't afford it and they never will be able to afford it because the economy just doesn't work for them. Um, I have never seen regenerative food in a grocery store. Um, never. And and the reason why really is just because there isn't such an awareness for it. I feel like if consumers started demanding regenerative food, that's what we would start seeing. So we could start seeing that trend change. We were talking earlier about the conversations around food and someone brought up a good point. They said, you know, my kids are going to laugh at us at the fact that we used to buy food from stores, that we used to go into a store and buy our produce. Whereas the future of food is going to be definitely getting it from a local source, right? Getting it from a local place. Right now, uh, it's very difficult to find regenerative farms. It's very difficult to find regenerative food because the system is very broken on the education side. Not a lot of people understand what does it mean to buy regenerative food? What does that mean for my body? So we have to do a really good job of educating the public on that. But really, it's one of those things where people need to start trusting their neighbors. They need to start trusting their farmer, right? You know, one of the mistakes that we made with CropSwap early on, um, and it's still it's still on the app, right? So I'll, I'll, I'll allude to some of the future features and changes that we're going to make. But right now on the app, you go and you see products, right? The first thing you see is products are available to you. And that was a mistake. Why? Because people don't know the difference between this kale and the kale I can get at Kroger. It looks the same. You know, it, it, it acts the same. What's the real difference? And I'm going to tell you that the difference is the stories, the stories that these farmers have to tell. That's where we're going to differentiate it because our current food system cannot reveal what it does to its food. So one of the changes that we're going to make to our app is instead of using products right off the bat, you're going to see the stories of all the farmers that are local to you. You're going to get to follow videos in real time, watching how hard they're growing your food, seeing the struggles they have to go through. Um, about a month ago, we had a farmer who was going through uh, a ton of rain. And so I was calling him. I was like, Hey dude, how's everything going? Sorry, Rob, I can't talk to you right now. I'm like creating these barricades. So that way the kale doesn't get flooded and so on. And I'm like, that's a story. We need to show people how much work that you go through to grow that food. Um, we need to show, tell the story to the world because I know Dole Farms won't be able to show a story of, you know, them on a tractor or their workers wearing hazmat suits. You know what I mean? The the transparency, I feel like, is really going to be something that really changes things. So if I could watch all the struggles that my farmer went through, if I could see him go from five subscribers to 500 because he's working his ass off, you see that he isn't using chemicals. He's in there explaining to you how to use things that starts changing things and pushing humans forward. So, you know, that's something that I, I feel really thankful that we launched CropSwap when we discovered essentially that people don't care the difference between kale and kale. What people want to start following is the fact that my farmer is going through a ton of struggles right near me and I can go and support him right now because of all the hard work that he's doing. And the next facet of that is definitely going to be to educate people on 
hey, with your purchase, just, and I always give this example, the, the iWatch, right? The iWatch really programmed humanity because now when I wear an iWatch, I'm tracking how many steps I'm taking. I'm tracking if I'm sitting down too long, if I need to stand up, right? We're addicted to data as human beings. So imagine a future where I can support my local farmer on CropSwap and subscribe to that farmer. And imagine if I could tell you, hey, with your purchase this week, this is how much money you kept in your community local. Uh, on top of that, this is how much CO2 you help sequester because you bought your melons from your local farmer. Typically in your area, they come from Mexico. So you just save this much CO2. Not only that, but this is how much land you help regenerate, right? With your actual purchase that will ruin a human being because then when they go to Whole Foods, they're not going to get that feeling. They're not, they're not going to get that feeling of I helped with my purchase. Whereas on CropSoft, they're going to get it. So we have to train people, look, get whatever you can from your local growers. And then anything else, go to a Whole Foods. You know, if you need tomatoes in the wintertime, go to Whole Foods and grab them. No problem. But eat as seasonally and local as you possibly can, because naturally your body is going to be healthier doing that too, right? I love the concept of the data because there's even health data that we don't know about yet, but there's a clear link. And we know that it'll improve our bodies and our resilience like we talked before. Uh, But I think one of the biggest things that that you're talking about is really community. And we lack that. This year showed how much we lack community. And, you know, we're so quick quick to subscribe to Amazon, to Netflix, all these things and create communities far away from us. But we don't have that natural connection with the farmer. And so that jumped out to me immediately when you said subscribe to your local farmer. And it's like, we, you know, as healthcare professionals, you want that close relationship with the healthcare professional, right? That's one of the relationships in our life that, that brings value. But why would we not have that same type of relationship with a farmer? Exactly. And, And I trust my neighbor over a corporation all day because my neighbor doesn't have enough money to go buy those pesticides and volume that they use, right? They don't have a national shareholder meeting that they have to appease people by how many profits they sold. These people are talking about watering with structured water because they get more volume out of crops if they naturally structure the water using vortexes, right? Things like that. They're talking about innovations that a corporation would never use or think about, you know, because it's just not in their shareholders meetings, right? So I trust my neighbor too. And I think more and more people are going to start seeing the stories that these, that these neighbors are going to go through. And I feel like, I honestly do feel like if, I was able to capture the data of my diet, even like if I knew, for example, uh, every, every, what everybody individually is getting from a box and we will very soon imagine, because I know that that food has nutrient density. I'll be able to tell you how much iron it has, how much potassium it has and so on. Not only that, but we'll be able to tell you what's missing from your diet and make recommendations of local farmers who grow things that you're missing in your diet. That should be how the world works. But again, grocery stores can't ever do this. And our current systems can't ever do this because even in perfect foods, their food is is sitting in a storage for five to six weeks, farm fresh to you five to six weeks. This only works if we get food direct from the ground the day it's harvested, right? Because then we have the most powerful, potent food. That's real nourishment. It's very, very cool to start hearing stories of people who start eating this way. And the first thing that they always tell me is, Rob, I actually didn't know I was feeling bad. That's the craziest thing to hear. How do we know how we feel right now is the best we've ever felt, right? Unless you experiment with your body, unless you start doing new tests and things. You know, that's that really is something that I feel like needs to come back is 
people experimenting with their own bodies. Try not eating something for a week and see how you feel. And, and one of the things for me that, that we can also touch on is really the meat side of things, right? So I'm not an anti-meat person. I'm, I'm from Texas, right? So me, myself, though, I've been vegan for the past, you know, three, four years. And it isn't because I don't believe in, in eating animals or anything like that. It's 100% because I don't trust the corporate meat that's coming out of these giant facilities, right? Um, we have this stigma in this country where you're a man if you eat meat. Well, 90% or more of the meat that we get has estrogen in it. So it's actually doing the opposite of what we need to, right? Uh, it has chemicals in it. So it's destroying our, our stomachs. It's got antibiotics in it that are just getting us susceptible to all kinds of bacteria and diseases, right? So I also feel like in the future, we're going to be able to buy from regenerative meat farms where they have meat that was from animals that were flourishing, that were living purposeful lives, that were eating naturally what they were supposed to eat. And that is what we should be eating, not, you know, not the meat that's commercially available. That I mean, I, I, I don't even think it really is real meat anymore at this point now that they're trying to, you know, create artificial meats and so on. So I, I definitely don't want to discount to that population, but I do think that a, a better future is coming in, in terms of food for sure. Yeah, especially because you actually need um, meat and grazers for a regenerative farm you in order them. for yeah. it to flourish. Yep. So eventually those can be used as, as food as well. Yeah, you use the animal. That's that's the coolest thing is, you know, I always tell people too, like if, if I was to eat a deer that ate the diet that a deer was supposed to eat, no problem. You know, I would eat it. Um, what worries me is these animals that are eating soy, that are eating corn, things that they just weren't typically used Sometimes to. Sometimes cows are being fed cows. Yeah. Oh, so I believe it. themselves. <laughs> and Skittles, as you mentioned. And Skittles, exactly. Yeah. So, so we really don't know anymore. And that's what scares me is, and it doesn't scare me. It gets me excited because again, these corporations cannot do what we're about to do. I'm about to show the whole world what every single farmer, what techniques they're using. Um, the fact that they don't use chemicals, things like that. That transparency is what these other corporations won't be able to replicate. And, and more importantly, platforms that create something that someone can say is theirs, that they worked so hard to create, that is the future. I mean, seriously, um, right now we were at Asante Micro Farms, which is a micro farm out here in uh, a low income area in California. Uh, Jemiah Hargens, who's the founder of PropSwap LA, which is a company that installs micro farms, uh, converts front lawns into an actual farm. Uh, he was able to convert this and we, we kind of took it as like a beta test to see what would happen, right? If we converted someone's farm, would we get subscribers? How many people could subscribe to that farm? It's literally a front yard. It's, it's on a quarter of an acre, if that. Um, and they have 50 subscribers, all neighbors who essentially want to subscribe directly to that farm. The coolest thing to me is the fact that somebody owns Asante Microfarm. Somebody created the logo, the brand. That's something that they can take on for generations, expand it to their community. Maybe they find their neighbor across the street and they want to be in Asante Microfarm too. Or maybe their neighbor decides to become berry farms and they grow berries. And now people can buy from two different farms, right? That's the future we need to bring back is essentially seeing 50,000 farms per city. You know what I mean? Seeing so many people grow food and own those brands themselves. No more corporations basically saying, this is ours, right? We're, we're taking your food and we're going to rebrand it, put our name on it, and then sell it to the public. Farms need to take and reap the rewards of them 
creating something beautiful. And I think that's what that's going to do. It's going to make it where there's going to be t-shirts where I'm supporting that local farm, right? And I'm happy to rep it. And I'm happy to tell everybody, hey, in San Diego, this is the farm you need to you know, support. Hey, in New York City, you got to support this one. Try their food. It's completely different from this. And I can see people traveling and, and, and just enjoying new farmer products, new new species, new varieties that they've never tasted before. One of the, the worst things that happened to me in January of 2019, I, I flew to uh, Hawaii for the first time. And, you know, the first thing I did was I went to the Whole Foods there thinking I would find like food from other farmers and things like that. And it was super sad to me to see the exact same food that's here in California, that's at the Whole Foods in Texas and in Florida, wherever. It's the same farms. They're just shipping it across from everywhere. So I was expecting to go to Hawaii and taste Hawaiian food. What's the culture out here in Hawaii, right? And we lose that with these corporations. We don't gain any any new knowledge of what it's like to live in the area unless you go to the farmers markets there. But those people aren't are unfortunately they don't get a majority of the business. So, you know, it's once a week instead of every single day where you can go like in Europe and stuff. So there is a lot of changes economically that we have to make. And it all starts with more and more people deciding, you know what? I'm going to purchase my produce from here and everything else. I'll just get it at a grocery store, right? We have to start that transitionary period for humans because it can't just be, I'm going to drop this and go straight to this. That will never work even for a farmer, right? Uh, we're, we're discovering that farmers are phenomenal at growing food. That's what they focus on. So we have to do the best job possible at giving them the easiest tools to use to become a business, to create a great story around what they've built. Uh, how much do you pay a delivery driver? When should you do the deliveries? Should you separate deliveries by areas because you're growing too big? We really have to handhold them. That was something that we learned this past year also is the fact that we can't grow massively like a Facebook, like an Instagram. We almost have to flip the script where we're going to be sort of like an incubator and accelerator for farms where we assign, we sign up 50 farms a month. And we, when we assign up those farms, we invest in that farm to be successful because if we get them their first 50 subscribers, they can multiply that themselves through great experience, customer satisfaction, people referring other farmers, things like that. But we also have to do a good job of setting the expectations and farmers right now don't sell direct to consumers. So we really have to do a good job marketing, educating and teaching people that a better option exists. Rob, I love this idea of independence for these farms because you yeah, see you know, my this entire gig economy where people want to work for themselves, but they're not really working for themselves yeah. and they may put in 10 years on Uber and then have nothing to show for it. But tell me about it. Yeah. Empower these, these farmers, they really own it. They're independent. They can work hard. Yep. And that value comes back to these farmers and then the value eventually trickles down to us as the consumers of these goods. hundred percent. So there's two examples there. I always tell people the, the future of crops up that I would like to see is in just like the gig economy. Three years ago, I would have never guessed my friends would have been taxi drivers, right? Or delivery drivers, right? Uh, until they started seeing the ads that said, earn X amount of income driving for Lyft, earn X amount of money a year driving for Amazon. If we can do the same thing where it could say, earn X amount of money growing food for your community, that's how we spark a revolution. That's how we transition this whole gig economy that's going to get replaced by autonomous vehicles, which I think is good uh, because humans shouldn't just be drivers. We should be tending to the land, to the soil, right? We need to go back to the where we, we came from. And, and the second thing is think about Girl Scouts, right? Think about your Boy Scouts, right? Um, you know, you see Girl Scouts at grocery stores selling cookies that were made by a corporation that have terrible chemicals in them, right? And they're selling that. And that's what their job is and responsibility. 
I want a future where you have troop 244 farms. And not only did that troop learn how to tend to the soil, learn all the microbacteria that needs to go into the soil to make the best possible food. But then you have somebody else come in and say, okay, I'm going to create the brand for it. I'm going to do the design for the t-shirts that everybody's going to get with their subscription. And then you have somebody else focus on how much are we going to sell this for? Now you're teaching humans something beautiful, which is learning how to grow your own food, create a business out of it, learn how to market it, learn how to sell it, the finances around it, the whole picture around creating something entrepreneurial. That's the American dream that needs to come back is people owning something for themselves. And I feel like this is a start of that. I feel like marketplaces and platforms that promote independence are going to win in the future. That's going to be our future is basically people telling their story of what they created, whether it's a farmer, whether it's they created a new currency or something like that. It's basically going to be stories of things that people built. No more of these, oh, I work for this company and that's it. That's going to be a cop-out. Nowadays and in the future, I feel like people are definitely going to have to tell stories of things that they helped build from zero. And that's what people want to hear. What was the hardest thing that happened on your farm? Oh my God, we, we, we forgot to pay our water bill. So we didn't have water. So we had to figure out, you know what I mean? Like that's the story that we want to hear. And those are stories that I want to hear from humans um, and know how happy they are having something that's self-sustaining, having something that they can pass on to their families for generations. That's what's cool to me. Yeah. Well, we love your vision of the future. I mean, there's so many benefits. Uh, you talked about the environment and community and of course with the economy. Um, and we also touched a bit about just health, our human health, our bodily health. Um, And I know that you said that some apples sit in the store for 13 months. That's that's gross. (laughs) (laughs) But um, what does the effect of eating conventionally or even just um, monocropped organic food have on our body? And why is regenerative food so much better for our health? Yeah. So honestly, for me, it's one of those things where definitely people need to not take my word for it, but try it, right? You definitely need to taste the difference. Not only the flavor profile of the food is going to be completely different. First, we we hear all the time from moms that say, my kid didn't need to use ranch anymore with his carrots, right? He actually liked the taste of carrots because carrots are supposed to taste really good, not how they taste from a grocery store. But more importantly, it's going to be one of those things where you're going to start noticing things that you just never felt. You're going to have more energy in your days. You're going to have a lot more, you know, your skin is going to clear up. You're going to be a more vibrant person because you're eating from the ground and from your area where you live, right? We've heard of stories of people who aren't as allergic anymore to their environment because they're eating local foods. We've heard of stories of people who essentially didn't know that they were feeling bad until they started eating this type of food. I think what's the most important thing about regenerative food is the fact that the grower who grew your regenerative food focused on the soil. Um, They focus, and when you focus on the soil, you get the most nutrient-dense plant. When you focus on just chemicals, you're going to get the looks of it, right? So you're going to get kale that looks great, that probably looks just like regenerative food, Um, kale, right? Regenerative produced kale, but doesn't have the nutrition profiles, regenerative kale. Um, And more importantly, you know, there are farms, for example, in New York City who might not be able to grow regeneratively, right? But growing the day after something is harvested and eating that, that's going to be way more powerful than what's sitting at a grocery store, right? It's called store because things are stored there. And, and that's something we have to definitely remember. But that's, that's where, you know, our future generations are probably going to laugh at the fact that we had all this technology and we didn't 
move fast enough at decentralizing our food systems. Um, but again, if you have local access to locally grown food, it's, it's going to be a game changer for you. There's a reason chefs go to farmer's markets and that they don't shop from Cisco, right? Uh, they, they, they all have relationships with their farmers because they know how important how food is grown is, uh, not just with the flavor, but how it makes you feel after. So I really do in, in, I, I definitely want everybody to, you know, at least taste it one time for themselves and see how they felt after that meal in comparison to the other. And in my opinion, it's a night and day difference. So Rob, this is the future is healthy podcast. And we ask every guest to finish the following sentence. The future okay. is blank. Mine is decentralized. So the future is decentralized for me. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, thank you so much. We love your passion, your enthusiasm, and your vision of the future. I think that it's it's coming and it's it's necessary, um, but we do need people to work hard on it um, to make sure that 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 will be our future. And uh, thank you for all that you do. And thanks for being on our podcast. We really enjoyed this. No, honestly, thank you guys. Like I said, what you all are doing is probably the most important, courageous, bravest thing ever. Um, I, I mean, you guys are doing it all right now. The spread of information of the right information is very important. Um, I think it's incredible what you guys are doing and you're actually saving lives. The more education that you guys are doing to teach people the fact that you are perfect the way you are, if you eat the right things, that is beautiful to me. And it's going to continue this message of of pushing humanity forwards. And I don't see enough of that either. So thank you guys for pushing all, all these messages and continuing this, this, I know, uphill battle of, of teaching people, educating people, but systems like this and, and, and what you guys are doing is really incredible. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Future is Healthy podcast. If you loved what you heard, subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think someone you know can benefit from any of the info we talked about, share this with friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. We don't rely on paid ads so that you can trust we have no conflict of interest in any of the information we provide or talk about in this podcast. If you support what we're doing, you can help us to continue putting out content by clicking the link to support the Future is Healthy podcast. This podcast is for general education purposes only. It is not a substitute for treatment, diagnoses, or professional medical advice. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or other qualified professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information from this podcast and any of the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. If you are seeking advice for any medical condition, it is important to seek the assistance from a qualified, trained, and licensed medical practitioner.